Metal Maniacs. What is going on? You've got Tom. You've got George. You've got Hattie. <laughs> you got another <laughs> podcast coming. And doesn't it feel good? It really does. So we were trying to get a podcast done in person the other day, but for whatever reason, George's um my computer laptop, took a dump. Yeah, it decided it became self-aware. It decided it did not want to cooperate. And it was like, yo, fuck you guys. I'm not doing any of this shit. Yeah, and it's a bummer because you always get a little bit better energy in person. But hey, we're still getting the episode done. So we're moving on. And maybe sometime in the future, my computer will decide to stop hating me. And Well, <laughs> we will certainly find out, won't we? Get There's it, nothing uh, we can do. We are slaves to knowledge. <laughs> seriously, no escape. And speaking of things not working, that there is no escape from, let's talk about Jugulator. Ooh, what a segue, Tom. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you've got a stiff drink for this one. Oh, I do. I have High West American Whiskey. So High West is one of my favorite distilleries. They are located somewhere out west, and their big thing is wildlife conservation. So I am more than happy to throw in my money behind that. But I ran out of High West. This is actually the last glass I have. In case that fails, I've got my second favorite, which is Tullamore Dew, which is Irish whiskey, triple distilled, very smooth. Don't know what their stance on wildlife conservation is, but very solid whiskey. And you made a very good decision having a backup drink to talk about Jugulator today. <laughs> Are you two um, sipping on anything right now or am I partying by myself tonight? Water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just some water. Just a tall aguarita. Uh, straight from the teat of Mother Earth. That's right. I've been wanting to talk about this ever since we decided that we're going to do Jugulator because if memory serves, we haven't covered Jugulator yet. That's right. It's our first time. And I'm sorry it's taken us a while to get to this album, but hey, we are going to give every album its due, and here we are. So, Tom, have you heard Jugulator before we started doing this show? No, I had not. And I have to say, out of all of Pantera's albums, Jugulator has got to be the most underrated. And I actually became very intrigued by this album specifically when we started doing this show, because I started wondering, okay, well, you know, the Owens era of Priest never really gets talked about much. I mean, he is a much more significant vocalist than, say, Al Atkins was, but for whatever reason, people seem to um, turn a blind eye to this period of the band's history. And after listening to Jugulator and Demolition, I kind of understand why. These albums are so ridiculous to a level that it almost touches on like spinal tap so i think it would be safe to say you don't think these albums encapsulate the vibe of what judas priest typically goes for would that be accurate yeah i'd say so and the thing is it's like you know they aren't i mean demolition's pretty bad but jugulator is actually not a bad album and this is something i want to touch on later is that death row is actually not a bad song either it has just some of the most ridiculously cliche, edgy, over-the-top lyrics and themes that I've ever heard in a song. You're going to get a lot of that on Jugulator, Tom. Oh, my <laughs> God. Hard to say. <laughs> yeah, well, listen, I want to get right into this. And the first thing that caught my attention immediately, because you told me that we were going to do Jugulator. So I put the album on in my car. And I was just listening through all the songs and Death Row immediately caught my attention because of how silly it is. Anyway, I've spent enough time rambling, George. Why don't you talk a little bit about your experience with Jugulator? So Jugulator is one of those albums you hear about in the canon of infamous or bad metal albums alongside Demolition, where metal was having their down period in the mid to late 90s and early 2000s and you know that's mostly speaking traditional metal and thrash metal we know that more extreme versions of metal were thriving but traditional metal was really in a big rut and a lot of the bands that were still trying to kick it at that time through that difficult period they were putting out some albums that didn't exactly light the world on fire jugulator was one of them and its infamous reputation precedes it 
I think to a level where it got some undeserved scorn simply for having a different vocalist. But at the same time, there are areas in which it's lesser, like the lyrics are a considerable weakness that you've already touched on. Mm. And Glenn Tipton, he's not a poet. He's not Halford. He's not even like in the same area code, not on the same continent, dude. I wanted to say that like, you know, in this instance, I feel like Owens gets needlessly maligned as sort of the redhead stepchild of Judas Priest members. And it's really not his fault that the lyrical content of these songs simply isn't very good. No, Owens, when he is at the top of his game, is a terrific vocalist and can deliver a performance that is on par with the best of them. And I can't help but wonder that maybe he should have been given a little more autonomy. But, you know, seeing as he's not a legacy member of the band and he wasn't even back then, I also kind of understand the the desire to maintain control. Yeah, and Glenn Tipton and K.K. Downing, they did retain the control, particularly Glenn Tipton, who, you know, most sources would probably agree that Tipton had way more control than Downing did. Mm. And Downing will be the first one to tell you that. Oh, yeah, he'll tell you even if you don't even ask about it. Like, like he'll just be like, hey, man, what's going on with you? And he'll be like, yeah, you know, I never really had a lot of input with the band. I'm like, OK, a simple high would have sufficed. <laughs> that sounds like KK. All right. <laughs> oh, uh, but enough about that. So yeah. Tim Owens, he puts in a very strong performance. He's a great screamer. And like you said, he's a hired gun. He doesn't have a single songwriting credit to his name on this album. Every song is Tipton and Downing. And so Ripper Tim Owens, he's just a man who was hired to sing these words that Glenn wrote down on a piece of toilet paper and said, here, buddy, sing these. Yeah, he did his job and he is screaming out these terrible lyrics, but he didn't write them. Yeah, it's important to note that. Vocalists more often, not more often than not, but a lot of times they actually don't have anything to do with the with the the songwriting process. You know, a lot of people are brought on specifically. Okay, I wrote these words, and you're going to sing them, and then he's like, okay. So, but we do tend to equate the front man of the band as sort of like the mastermind of the whole thing, and really, that's just not the case. Addy, tell me, what did you think the first time you heard Jugulator? I don't think I have listened to it like forever, at least mm, 10 years, because like I used to listen to it like when I was just barely introduced to Youth Priest and uh, everything was alike. And later I realized, even like without reading those backup albums or whatever, that those were actually not about Halford. I mean, not with Halford. And then it's like, like yes, that it sounded different. And I think this is one of those albums, along with Demolition, that I put in the bad burner and really don't find reasons to go back to and listen. You know, as Tom was saying, like some of the songs, they just keep on haunting you back. For me, it was uh, Crack and Demolition, Jekyll and Hyde. Like, it's like a fever cream. I can't just get out of it. <laughs> and just, right. It, it almost seems like alternate reality Judas Priest. Oh, are yep. we getting back into this subject matter of alternate reality priest? Alternate reality priest. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's like, you know, it's like I said with Nostradamus, it's bizarro priest, you know. And I feel like early 2000s in general was a bad time for most music, you know. Even if you're looking at the pop and hip hop of that time, it was a lot of duds, kind of like a dry spell for the entire music industry. That didn't really start picking up again until about 2005, 2006, thereabouts, where like I feel like, especially in the heavy metal industry, people really had their moment where they were like, okay, let's go back to what made heavy metal great in the first place. That really started, I think, with the new wave of American metal. But, you know, for a while, it's hard to imagine now, but there really was nothing noteworthy going on in this scene that wasn't underground yeah i think you raise a great point 
And now it's fallen to us to sort of dig this strange relic of Judas Priest history, dig it out of this hole that it's been buried in. I mean, the album's not even on Spotify at the time we're recording this, possibly through no fault of the band. They've been accused of trying to bury this period of their history, but usually it's just record label BS that prevents albums from getting on Spotify. Usually the band is like a hundred feet away from all that stuff. And they probably don't even know that it's not on Spotify anyway. So yeah, this album is rare and not many people talk about it. And we're here to look at it and tell you, is it really as bad as you've heard or is it as good as you've heard from those few people who are those big fans who actually are still raving about it? There's a cult following for Jugulator. There are some people who think very highly of it and will definitely want to make sure that we give these songs their due in service to that portion of the fan base as well. There's actually someone we know on Twitter whose profile picture is the Jugulator. Yeah, I've yeah. seen a few people who say that that's among their favorite Priest albums as well. So yeah. you know what? It's not so uncommon for people to like Jugulator. And I, I don't know, guys, I guess you're going to have to hear it and decide for yourself. All right. So let's pick this thing apart and start from the very beginning. Let's go through and kind of dissect this song segment by segment. You know how we do it. Hell yeah, baby. Let's get to it. That being said, it's time to crack open this bottle of Tully. It takes another drink or two. Or five. (laughs) For demolition, a little more than usual. And well, thankfully, we're not on demolition today. (laughs) Don't worry. Demolition is going to have its due date. It's common. Yeah. Oh, this shit's so good. <laughs> sorry, son. Commit <laughs> a crime. Pay the price. <laughs> oh, Lord, help me. It, it took. 27 seconds or so before we got a note of music. Oh my god, dude. That is way too long to monologue. And then it's not even over after that. Then they do another monologue after this. Let's let's hear that. <laughs> okay, then. with that (laughs) just noise garbage in some of these that they're throwing into some of these tim owens era songs like they had all that feedback in one-on-one and now they got the whole sounds like some force field sci-fi thing Like, uh, what is that? It's something for it's gotta be from some PlayStation One game. Like, it has to be. Like, <laughs> uh, there's gotta throwing be throwing in a clip of the PlayStation One loading screen. Oh, hell yeah. Please, please. <laughs> and the thing is, it's like you've got this monologue going on where it's like, you're not even saying anything interesting. You're literally just like, "Mm, death row. Okay. I'll tell him like, you don't have anything funny or interesting to say from that. You know, you could have at least like spiced up that dialogue. And then when like you said, dead man walking, (laughs) 
All I can imagine is Tim Owens like sitting over someone in a prison cell and just like saying that directly to his face. And the guy's like, oh, just fucking kill me. And you know, if there was a music video for this song, that's exactly how it would have gone. Oh my God. I would give anything for there to be a music video of this song. I really would. This song is a masterpiece of hamming it up. And let's be clear here. I like ham. And there's the part of this song, it's charming, kind of, in its own way. Because, again, this is like Spinal Tap, dude. This is like... But the thing is, is that the riff is actually kind of sick. Play the next part. Well, someone's been praying at the Church of Dimebag Daryl. <laughs> yeah, dude, but that's the kind of thing is like, you know, as far as like novelty albums go, I mean, I understand people like this because like on an objective level, this is a pretty heavy song. You got that really nice, those eighth notes of chugging along, palm muting with what sound like some, um, not fifths chords, but, you know, there actually is something going on here that's interesting. The riff and the tone on their guitars is incredible. From a production standpoint, this is actually a really, really crisp album. Yeah, the riffs are there. And I'm going to pull a quote out of K.K. Downing's book where he's basically agreeing with you in his silly K.K. Downing language. Uh. He says, Jugulator was relentless. It was one amazing, punishing metal riff after another, a real riff manac, like almanac, but oh, riff manac. Okay. Like, all right, there's some clever wordplay so, going on. So, so KK Downing makes up words. Okay. Uh, all words are made up. True. Then he goes on to say whether it was a subconscious move to separate Rob's and Ripper's eras in a sonic sense or simply a byproduct of the awkward mid-90s metal scene, Jugulator sounded, in most senses, quite unlike anything Judas Priest had ever done before. The guitars were tuned down a step, sometimes even a step and a half. The riffs had groove to spare. And maybe the fact that Tim Owens was younger and came from a different place was significant too. Yeah, you know, and this is something I've touched on before, is that... Anytime you introduce a new member into your band, it doesn't matter whether they're contributing or not. The dynamic changes, the energy changes, the performance changes. I went through this with my own band where, you know, we were bringing on new members every other month. And every time we did, without exception, the dynamic of the group changed. Therefore, the sound changed. Now, that was just us going through a catalog of music that we had been playing for a few years. You take that same energy and you apply it to the songwriting process. Doesn't matter if Owens is involved or not. The fact that he's there and bringing his own unique aura and energy into this process, of course, it's going to sound different. For what it's worth, I mean, there are definitely worse bands to like draw influence from than Pantera. I know a lot of people like to rip on this album for that, but like Pantera are legends in their own right. I mean, I don't think that's a band that needs any introduction, right? They were the band of the day. It only makes sense that Judas Priest would try and explore some of that territory. They wanted a piece of that for themselves. You know, they had just come off of Painkiller. They were pretty interested in continuing to get heavier. And I think that if Rob had come back to Judas Priest after his first solo album, this probably would have been the direction he wanted to go anyway. Yeah. And, and again, you know, like it's really it's it's a matter of that's just the missing piece of the puzzle right there is Rob because the riffs are solid. You know, they're not bad especially on this song, you know, it's got a, a certain groove to it. Like you can really bop to it, but you're missing that element that makes priest a transcendent experience, which is Rob Halford. 
And again, that's no fault of Tim Owens. It's just that he's not involved in the songwriting process. And when you're removing that key element, you're losing something really special. Something that you're missing now, as good as Tim Owens can scream, there is something missing from his performance that Rob Halford has in spades. There's all sorts of character and charisma in the way that Rob delivers lines. Like we keep going back to the example in Metal Gods, we've taken too much for granted. Like Rob just, he knows where to accentuate things and he gets the lines into your head because he makes them memorable like that. And Owens, he tries to do that in his own way, but when he does, it's just not quite as successful to me. I think it's because his vocals are like he, his performances are very clean. And what I mean by that is like, it's missing some of that grit and dirtiness that Halford brings to the table because there really is no one in the world that can deliver with the same kind of cadence that Halford can. I know I've said this before and I'm really just like fucking blowing the guy at this point, but he is inimitable and he is the metal God for a reason. And that doesn't detract from Owens as a vocalist. It's just like, Come on, man. It's like you're those were I have said this before. How do you fill the shoes of a legend? Exactly. Exactly. Like those are going to be hard shoes to fill no matter who you're putting on the mic. Right. Agreed. And with all this talk about Owens singing, let's actually hear the part of the song where he does that. You ready? Always. Okay, let's talk about that. Okay, so as a former electrician myself, that is not how circuit breakers work. When you close a circuit breaker, you turn it off. That means that there is no power going from the breaker to whatever you are powering. So that's rule number one. Secondly, is a cardinal sin in metal to use curse words to get your point across. Like, If you are swearing, it shows a profound lack of imagination that you can't paint a vivid picture with your vocabulary alone. Yeah, he says, hear the goddamn screams. Yeah. Ralph Halford never had to say goddamn in a song. You know, he he would say fuck on stage when he was talking to the fans, but like not in lyrics. Yeah, and that's really the difference is like saying, throwing that in your lyrics is like, that's like, It's almost crass, to be quite honest. I don't think that you need to curse in a song in order to get your point across. Some of the best lyricists that ever existed never uttered a swear word in their lives. And you might find that funny coming from me, the person who uses swear words like most people use commas. But, I mean, I'm no one to talk. I'm a terrible lyricist, too. So, Fair enough, then. But, hey, I'm really glad that you mentioned the circuit breaker. Because here's an exact point I can pull out as an example of when Owens tries to do like those flourishes on certain words that Halford does, and it doesn't quite work for me. So let's right. let's hear this one more time. There's 
circuit breaker. <laughs> that is mega cheese. Yeah, dude, that is like, dude, that's the cheese. That's the best character on the show. <laughs> yeah, okay, you're not wrong. Yeah, <laughs> listen, man, I like cheese. I do. I like hammy shit. There's a limit, though. I mean, like that needless sort of over enunciation. You're drawing attention to the part of the song that you least need to draw attention to. Yeah, you know, what's the difference between when Owens does something like that and Halford does something like that? I don't know. Maybe you want to try and put emphasis on a cool, pleasant sounding word, not circuit breaker, which is a really <laughs> uninteresting thing to sing about. I'll tell you ex- I'll tell you exactly what it is is that Halford knows where to put it in the song and Owens is trying to replicate that by focusing honing in on certain words. Halford knows exactly what time and at what place you need to add those flourishes. That's one of his biggest strengths as a vocalist. And Owens, to his credit, is at least trying. And I will never fault someone for at least giving their all. And you can tell on these songs, he is really going in. We've heard his renditions of the classics, Electric Guy, Metal Gods, Breaking the Law, Owens is a more than serviceable vocalist. It's just that when it comes to the original material, dude, you're missing 50% of the band. In my mind, I don't even think this album needs to exist. It's like, have Owens on the mic the way that Queen uses... The fuck's the name of the vocalist who's in Queen? I know I've said Adam Lambert. Thank you, Adam Lambert. It's like, you're not writing new material, are you? Just stick with the classics, and the rest will follow. Okay, so I disagree with you there. I think that at this point... Judas Priest were still artists and they still wanted to continue and make new music. Mm. And you know what? I'm sure there would have been plenty of money in it for Priest if they were only playing the classics, but I don't think they wanted to. I think they wanted to make new music and I'm glad they tried instead of just sitting on their asses until Halford came back because Mm. some people do like this album and these songs, they're not without merit. This riff is pretty good, and for all the cheese, like these Tim Owens vocals, they're pretty good, too. Hmm. All right, a fair point, as ever. I tend to let my inner elitist shine every now and again. (laughs) That's the kind of content that gets us the good hate mail. (laughs) Yeah, I hope so. All right, bros, come at me. I can take you. Yeah, well, can you take the next part of the song? I don't know. Let's find out. Come on, man. Give me a break. I mean, <laughs> a steak, that's all it takes. <laughs> See, uh, the thing is, is like, there's actually some really interesting things going on musically here. You can even hear that Ian Hill has some time to shine with his bass. They throw in some really interesting bass leads on that. And whatever they got going on in the background with that wah and the guitar is really cool. But Dude, throwing in those monologues where, like, you it takes me completely out of the song. Where it's like, hey, man, give me a break. And again, it's not interesting. It goes the, back to what you were saying before about trying too hard just to be edgy and hardcore and brutal. Yeah. But that was the era. That's what everyone was doing. Everyone was trying to be darker and edgier than whatever came out in the month before. And so... I can't really fault Priest for sort of chasing after that. But at the same time, there's a way to do this that is actually quite effective. And I'm thinking of 
Mastodon's first EP, which is there's this song called We Built This Come Death, where I'm, I, if I'm not mistaken, they have audio that is testimony from a person who investigated the death camps that Nazi Germany built. And they describe the experiments that the prisoners at the concentration camps were forced to endure. And it's really potent and powerful. And they and there's kind of haunting a mu- there's haunting music around it, right? Exactly. And in the beginning, it's nothing but like feedback, and they kind of distort the voice digitally. And it's really effective because it does take you to this very dark, really sort of disorienting place where you kind of get into your own head a bit. And this just doesn't have that because it comes across as very forced. I think you really hit the nail on the head there. Thank you. Okay, let's hear a little more. Please. What do you think about that guitar solo, man? God damn, bro. That was a fucking great solo. You know, KK or Glenn? I oh, think it's KK. Dude, I don't Guess know, honestly. You, all right. I'm going to, I don't know. I'm probably going to have to listen to it a few more times. I'll be honest. I cannot really discern who I think it might be. Oh, oh there's a live video. Oh, here oh. we go. Oh, okay. okay so, yep. KK does all the whammying stuff and then yeah. Glenn plays the more sweeping parts. Yeah, that might be the tell is that K has definitely been more of the like effects oriented guitar player, whereas Tipton prefers to stand on the merit of his technique alone. They combine well. I was saying that the solo work on this album, again, dude, like one thing you will never lack for on a priest album is a fantastic guitar solo. Because let's be real, that's where these guys really shine. Their strength is in their ability to shred. And this song is absolutely no exception. This actually might be one of KK's best solos, in my opinion. Yeah, and I really liked the chugging part that they got in earlier. So let me back up a second. So fun game to play when you listen to Jugulator with each riff, try and figure out which Pantera song they took it from. (laughs) (laughs) All right, you as the resident Pantera expert, what song is this from? uh, I'm no expert, but, you know, that definitely sounds like something that could have come out of Dimebag's guitar. Mm. And even in the beginning, I think that when they do that melodic intro, like this part... but that guitar line sounds like something that could have come right out of this love or cemetery gates yeah i I mean i'm definitely inclined to agree and now i'm sort of tempted to go back and listen to pantera band that i probably have not given as much of a fair shake as i should have but yeah you know it always feels a little weird listening to them knowing that they were probably racists and white supremacists, but yeah. they did good music. They certainly did. Listen, if you can separate the art from the artist for that like duration, if you can do that, good for you. I mean, but then again, man, like I'm I don't know if I have any dog in this fight. One of my greatest musical inspirations was a fucking murderer. So yeah, you know, 
some real bad people have made some real great art and however bad you think that a musician is there's probably another musician who's done worse things and still probably i mean listen the the fucking vocalist from as i lay dying was right to have his wife killed and still out on tour with his (laughs) so you know what but that that's a can of worms that we're not gonna rip open no man this is not an (laughs) as i lay dying podcast but that being said, problematic aspects of Pantera aside, you cannot deny the musicality that everyone who was in that band was a master at their music, at their um, whatever their instrument was. Sure. They didn't influence an entire generation of metal bands by accident. That's really yeah. Hard. Yeah, man. You don't get that level of like fame and influence without having some form of merit. True story. Mm. All right. Let's see if we can send this song home. So what's the matter, son? To never to die. Take it like a man. Don't cry. Okay, so again, the music on this track is actually pretty damn good. There's a lot of really good rhythmic, groovy sections that you can really bang out to. But I swear to fucking God, when he says, What's the matter, son? I burst out laughing the first time I heard that. I'm dying right now. (laughs) (laughs) It's so fucking lame. What's the matter, Tom? You're too young to die of laughter from listening to (laughs) lyrics. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm going to just stop breathing at this point. Yeah. yeah, Okay. Yeah. Take this like a man, Tom. And don't cry from laughing. (laughs) Oh, my God. Take it like a man. (laughs) Uh, well uh, sounds like as if some teenager wrote this yeah that was exactly what i thought i'm like dude was this written by like a fucking 15 year old well you know what they say about the age of stagnation and glenn got famous pretty young so maybe he never evolved beyond (laughs) that (laughs) that's an interesting thing i had a friend who told me that that like Whatever age it is you get addicted to something is the age that you are forever. I don't know if that's true, but if this song is any indication, Glenn Tipton started drinking at like 15 years old. Oh, boy. <laughs> no, I'm just you might not be wrong. British, it's only fair. Yeah, word. I mean, you probably know a little bit more about that than we do, Hattie. I'd actually like to get your take on all of this. Well, I don't think very much left to say because it's like late 90s, early 2000s, as you said, it was a different time for metal. I think it was like discussing another episode, like how someone seeing them live and it was like a very small back venue. Or So yeah, back, I mean, time was different then, right? So, yeah. and that reflected on the lyrics, reflected on and everything. And, you know, I only feel that it is different because it's childish but the song is fun when you can get over the lyrical part Mm. so there is that yeah i guess if you can if you could turn off your brain long enough to like not pay attention the song itself the musical content is solid this group totally bops man yeah for real 
Yeah, I would not necessarily be opposed to hearing this song live because it sounds like it would be a lot of fun to hear this song. This is the kind of anthem where like you are jumping up and down and throwing your fist in the air the entire time. Mm-hmm. And you know, I remember reading an interview that Owens did and he said that his era of the band has kind of been erased. And I think that's definitely true. And it's almost kind of a shame because for better or for worse, this is an important part of priest history. Mm -hmm. There are people who really love jugulator and there are people who love demolition would not be opposed to Owens returning as like sort of a, you know, George, this is something you talk about frequently is like bring two vocalists on tour, have Owens sing the jugulator era songs, like have him come out for a little bit of the set and make it a I, longer set. Yeah. And I don't think that too many priest fans would be opposed to that. As long as it's a longer set and he's not taking away from our time with the metal God, Rob. Yeah. Yeah, then then I'm okay with it. Fair enough. I mean, I would definitely not be opposed to hear or even if Rob was singing this song, you know? That I'd actually like to hear fun. his I'd It'll like never to hear happen, his but it would be fun. Yeah. I mean, that's true. It's okay to dream. Yeah. <laughs> now, listen, I think we've given these lyrics a nice appropriate bashing, but there's one more line that I have to point out that I probably wouldn't have caught if you didn't reference the circuit breaker before but <laughs> owen says it's not very nice in the electric chair but the guy is not getting electrocuted because apparently the circuit breaker is not working <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so how like, bad can it really be yeah man well, I, mean, I guess there's you're... still a sense of dread even when the electric chair is not turning on <laughs> <laughs> god damn it they closed the circuit breaker how are we gonna kill this guy <laughs> Man, I mean, I they... guess he's he's not wrong, no matter which way you slice it. If you're sitting in the electric chair and they pull the fucking they pull the plug on you or like they whatever the fuck you call it. And like you're Leave just her. sitting there waiting to die. It still sucks, even if you don't die. Oh, that's even worse, because then you have to just wait and wait and you don't know when it's going to happen. It's yeah. Like- it's like being on the tallest roller coaster in the world and then getting stuck right before the biggest drop. Oh. As a person who is like terrified of roller coasters, that hit different. Yeah, think about that one when you when you sleep tonight, listeners. I'd rather not. <laughs> Fair enough. And hey, you talked about the song live, so I think we're going to have to throw on a real quick clip of the 98 Meltdown live album so you can hear that. Let's do it. All right. Now, this was the closing track of disc one, and this 98 Meltdown album, it's made up of performances from various different shows put together in a best of collection, so I wouldn't be able to tell you where and when they recorded this, but it was on the Jugulator tour. They only played five Jugulator songs live. Death Row was the fourth most common, and it sounds a lot faster. This version's actually a minute and a half shorter than the studio track, if you can believe it. You know, that's not the first time you brought that up, but you know what? Let's save that for after the clip. So they're getting to the action a lot quicker. Like there's, I don't know, 10 or 15 seconds of crowd noise. And then they do that little intro melody. And then before the 30 second mark hits, you're already at the riff. So you're off to a much better start than the studio track already. You don't get any Tim Ripper Owens monologues. <laughs> Thank God. Except for the dead man walking. All right. Well, that's not yeah, so bad. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. can tolerate it. Yeah. 
Scott Travis is a maniac, guys. He's yeah. the, he's a fucking gangster. He is awesome. So I don't know if you picked up on you probably picked up on the fact that it is faster. But what you might not have picked up on is that they are actually tuned a half step up for their live version of this song. So whereas they were probably playing in D flat or D sharp, they're now playing in D standard on the live version, which is interesting to me. And that's something I'm going to talk about in another episode. But you've mentioned this before that the jugulator and demolition tracks when played live are shortened. It's I've always true. said and that who wanted who would really want that massively long intro to be played live anyway, you know? Yeah, I mean, listen, dude, brevity is the soul of wit. And the same is definitely true. Brevity is the soul of music, in a sense. It's like, get to the fucking point. <laughs> wow. That was pre- <laughs> Tom, that was pretty meta because you talk about how brevity is the soul of wit. And then you go on to get your point across in pretty much exactly the most concise manner, i.e. get to the fucking point. Like, okay, you just summed it up and you proved your own point. Well, listen, Do- let- double kudos. <laughs> Thank you. Well, listen, let never be said that my thoughts are not internally consistent. Now, you say they tuned uh, to D standard a little bit up from Jugulator. I wonder if that was sort of a good compromise tuning to be able to play the Jugulator material and the earlier material and have the earlier material still sound relatively okay so that they could stick with one tuning for the whole show. That's yeah. a theory. Yeah, definitely. It's a lot more practical if all of your guitars are put in the same tuning. Cause I can imagine for a guitar tech, it it's gotta be complicated to be able to keep track of, okay, shit. Which of these guitars are tuned to C? Which of them are tuned to D? It's probably a lot easier to just say, all right, well, listen, they're all in the same tuning now, and I don't have to worry about it. I just have to make sure that it's actually in tune when I hand it off to the guitarist, which begs the question, why would you even alternate your tunings when you're playing, when you're recording the album? I'm not a musician, man. I can't answer (laughs) that. I mean... I got to say, from a practical standpoint, it just makes more sense. It's a, sure. it's one less thing you have to worry about. And when you're playing live, you need to really get that down to a science where it's like, OK, there is so much that can go wrong, some of which is within your control, some of which is without mitigate as much risk as you possibly can. Good philosophy. I thought so. It makes sense to me especially for a band like priest it's like man you priest doesn't put on bad performances i think yeah and the crowd actually does sing along with this one which is pretty cool yeah people like it man it's like you said this album has a following okay one last clip then we'll wrap it up might also notice that in the studio track at the end they go back to that cemetery gates this love melody like for 40 more seconds at the end and you don't really need that so they cut it out in the live version i think that was probably a good decision in the name of brevity yeah i'm inclined to agree there's nothing wrong with going out on a strong note and it shortens the song and listen to that crowd man they were eating the shit up so clearly, at least an entire crowd of people was enjoying it. It's a crowd-friendly song, I'd say. Mm. Yeah, I agree. You yeah, don't even have to those... know the lyrics or anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, again, this is a song that if I heard this song live, I, I, you wouldn't hear any objections coming from me. Just cut out maybe a full minute of it and just get rid of those ridiculous monologues. And you've actually got a pretty decent crowd pleaser. 
But you know what, Tom? I think I would love to hear Rob Halford try to pull off, what's the matter, son? <laughs> die. I want to oh. see if he can make it good, because I think he can. Uh, okay, you know what? That's a fair point. Oh, man, now you've got me conflicted. <laughs> All right. Before we go, let's touch on a couple pieces of Judas Priest news. Number one, Judas Priest and Queensryche are going back on tour together in the U.S. This autumn, tour starts on October 13 in Wallingford, Connecticut. Who do we know that lives in Connecticut? Oh, wait, me. Hey, how about that? Yeah, so I'll go. They don't have to twist my arm. (laughs) Yeah, they're not going to have to try very hard to get you there. Yeah, and it's the first date on the tour, so I will have all my fingers and toes crossed that they are going to play some songs that they didn't on the first half. Because when they did multiple legs on the Firepower tour, that's the same way it worked there. Like They did the U.S., then they came back the next year and did the U.S. again. And the set list was almost totally different. So I'm really hoping that they're calling this the 50 years of heavy metal and they're going to be playing us a lot of different songs to reflect all those years. That's my hope. I sadly will probably not be able to make it to this next tour because I got my bachelor you party. You are going to be getting married. I am. I'm going to be getting married in October and have the bachelor party in September. So I don't think there's going to be too much time to go see Priest live, but Honestly, after the last time I saw them, if I never saw them again, I could die happy. Not that I don't want to see them again, but I saw the priest performance of my dreams pretty much. So I'm pretty happy. Yeah, you'll be there. So jealous of you guys. Yeah. Life goal. Get Hattie to a Judas Priest concert. Seriously, Hattie. We gotta we gotta get you to a priest concert ASAP. For real. And here's our other Judas Priest news. So at one of their most recent performances on their European tour, Glenn Tipton made an appearance for the first time since the show we were at in March. And the crowd was so stoked to see him in Spain. I wonder if he decided to come out for that one because he actually has a home in Spain. If anyone didn't know that. I didn't know that. That's his primary residence, actually. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I think you know a guy. I've heard that his home is basically like a castle, but... Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah, man. I'm sure he lives very well there. Yeah. Like um, he likes to fish. Like he's a fishing fishing person. So he fishes there with his like son. Oh, he yeah. likes to go fishing. I wonder if he hangs out with Adrian from Iron Maiden. I wrote a whole <laughs> no. book about fishing. Not kidding. Oh no shit. Not kidding. Wow, that's amazing. You know, it's so weird, like male facts like that. One of the guitar players of Anthrax became a watchmaker. That's a strange one, but hey, isn't that weird? Very cool, good for him. Yeah, man. Like people's lives outside of their musical careers are fascinating. And, and KK Downing lives in a fucking castle too, on a golf course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's got to be that inner like British colonialism, like showing its fucking ugly head. Yeah, hey, he the chip on his shoulder that he's carried yeah. from growing up poor in Britain, as that he's carried with him for his whole <laughs> life. He's like, yeah, well, I showed those bullies. Now I have my castle on a golf course. <laughs> Downing actually was from an elite family and he was kicked out for joining metal band instead of doing his elite stuff no so shit I think it makes sense the way he turned out like later in life <laughs> i did not know that i'm really grateful that you brought that up dave mustaine before dave mustaine over oh, here wait was <laughs> um like did dave mustaine come from a wealthy family too no, uh, he's just a big so. cry baby <laughs> uh, uh i might cut that the whole thing out uh, <laughs> all right guys any closing thoughts we wrapped up the song pretty well already closing thoughts on the matter is that jugulator is an album that is good and had the potential to be even better than that there's just that one missing component which is a terrific lyricist behind it but i say the same thing about limp biscuit even though i love limp biscuit unironically you can fight me about it is that Whatever your thoughts are on Fred Durst, you cannot deny the talent of the of people like Wes Borland, who was the guitarist of that band, who is the guitarist of that band, uh, is that the musicianship is there, but solid lyrical content makes or breaks an album in most cases. Exactly. And Jugulator, if nothing else, is fascinating 
for that reason alone is that it's actually a really solid album that suffers from pretty poor lyricism. Yeah, and it's hard to see how something like that can bring down an album so hard. But there's the other intangible aspects of just missing Rob Halford's charisma that kind of lowers the album's reputation for me and it's really no less good musically like we definitely went out of our way to compliment the guitars the bass the drums those elements are still there so not a bad album pretty good one but just a little lacking in the canon of all the priest albums well, I think it's Pavlovian for us to feel the, the absence of our help. Like when it comes to Chris song, we naturally seek help words like Google, his everything, his charisma. I think if we can ignore the fact that it is a Chris album, it is a, like a cool night, late 90s metal album, right? Yeah, definitely. For sure. Solid, like, I would say give it like a solid 7 out of 10. Yeah, and I think there are songs that we're going to get to later that are better than this one, and maybe a couple that are worse, but that's going to yeah. be even more fun. Yeah, but I will say Jugulator is needlessly maligned. It is not as bad as everyone thinks it is. It's just not your typical Priest album. Yeah, and exactly. you can't get it on Spotify, but go seek it out elsewhere. It's worth hearing because yeah. at this point, we've probably got you curious. And there are other songs on the album that I think are even better, like I said. So go check it out. Yeah. And shout out to the album art. It was a cool, right? Yeah. Like much better than Demolition. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that one yeah. barely counts. But Jugulator... I think they actually made a pretty cool looking monster that fits in with the aesthetic of all the stuff they did with painkiller and granted the cropped version that they released is like an absolute monstrosity and yeah. not in the good way, but the full version that's real cool. Yeah. Like the jugulator dude, he literally like slashes your fucking jugular he goes straight in for the kill. And that's a pretty fucking slow, agonizing death. It's actually kind of brutal. Like a monster mm -hmm. whose preferred method of execution is slitting your throat. It's like, dude, the jugular is coming for your jugular, bro. He's going to fuck you up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, I, and I think we're going to need the angel of retribution to come save us from him. Oh, absolutely yeah. that's coming soon we're good i mean i'm looking forward to that one me too all right i can't believe that we had so much to say about death row but i think that we probably had to spend time getting our thoughts out on jugulator in general this being the first time we've looked at one of its songs so now that we got all that out there i really thought you were going to take a dump on this song tom i thought you were going to hate it i was too honestly i was expecting a much more vitriolic take and it turns out that no it's actually not a bad album you know yeah. if, if you can we like took a dump on the lyrics though yes right the lyrics so. are, the lyrics are dump worthy but like the well it's like laxity <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i think that my opinion is definitely changing it's it's very silly it's very campy but that doesn't mean it's bad. It just means that it's interesting. Mm -hmm. Good deal well, with that. Encapsulates that era. Yeah, yeah, it really does. Like drowning pool is the first thing that I think of. <sighs> I think that the lyrics, are, the lyrics here are a little better than bodies hit the floor, hit the bodies hit the floor. twenty times over and over. Yeah. Oh God. Oh God. I have nightmares about that song. Hey, everyone. Thanks for getting on board. And we are going to wish you all the best. And oh, isn't there one more Priest album we haven't talked about yet? You're going to have to join us for the next episode. So until next time, friends, you've got George. You've got Tom. You've got Abby. Keep defending the faith. And stay locked in. Breaker!